Hey, my God, look over there. David and Beth Lugner. You know, I heard a rumor. Their marriage was a little rocky. Really? Mm-hmm. You know, I have a little thing for Beth Lugner. Well, I have to admit, I've always thought David was kind of sponge-worthy. Yeah, I've been waiting out their marriage for three years. Yeah, me too. Well, I've been waiting out two or three marriages, but this is the one I really had my eye on. September 2nd, 2012. Hello, folks. Happy day. Oh, ha happy day. Yeah. Really, do you have to? Oh. Uh, I hate that voice. Stop oh. it! Stop it! Why do you think I have to do it so much? Oh. Oh, Susan. <laughs> God, you're ruining my childhood every time you talk in that voice. <laughs> Innocence destroyed. Yes! That Island of Misfit Toys voice. That's what it is. Oh, God. You know it's going to happen. It's going to get close to Christmas time. And you're going to see it on TV uh -huh. and scream. And I'm going to scream mm -hmm. and scream and scream and I'll never stop screaming. All right. Well... I'll mention this because you made a point of making fun of me last time for this. I make fun of a lot of things. There's a to new you. seminar theme coming up oh, composed yes. by Vincent Morrison, new director of the show. And okay. I didn't know exactly when it was going to show up in an episode and you were laughing at oh, me. Oh, because you didn't know things. Well, now I know things. Well, look. So. See, with just a little effort, you can do better. Oh. <laughs> So, when is it? Please, tell us. Well, I put episode four. I don't know if that's an eight or a nine. Okay, I'm pretty sure that says episode 48. Yeah, but it looks like my pen gave out when I was writing, so it could have been a funky nine, but I, I think it's an you, eight. I love that you didn't even fix it. You didn't even look at it. You're like, that's good enough for me. I wrote it down. I'm like, that'll show her. And then I didn't even <laughs> you know, get it correct. So. I see. I've been shown. Yo, you've been shown. <laughs> Come by later. Ah! All right. Only one other thing to mention. Yes. And that is that you and I have recently completed drafts of some new pilot episodes. We did. Yes, and that's all I was mentioning, so. But we're not going to tell you of what. Well, here's the thing. Last time we we talked about that show that we're working on a co-writer with, to the co and we didn't talk it. to him about how much we should reveal if we could However, talk about it yet. We want to make sure we're all on the same page. I did take a moment to write him an email and tell him that he was awesome because he is. He is totally awesome. So you know, oh, I, I took it is so, Mister Awesome degrees. It is so totally. Yes. Awesome. So, you know what? For next twip, we're going to try to really well, talk to him and say maybe we're going maybe to we're gonna try to really talk to him. To put it on the in development. Is that list. enough qualifiers for you? We're going to try to really talk to him. So, no promises we because We swear to you he's a real person. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we're making He's him all up. in our head. Well, you know it's our it's our co-writer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that guy. Anyway, <laughs> we did get the pilot episode completed. And he is now writing the second episode. Uh, it's going to be a six-episode... I don't know what you want to call it. A feature? A mini-series? Something like that. Six episodes long. Yes. And we're going to alternate episodes. So we wrote the first one. He's writing the second. 
Um, We're gonna write all the episodes before anything else happens. So yes, that's get those all nailed down on. and edited and finalized, and then we're gonna move into casting and all of that stuff. And we'll have a lot more information about that coming up because it's yeah. gonna be a little different in a few ways. But we, yeah, we gotta we gotta talk about it all. We're working out lots of details, guys. Lots, lots of details. But it's in development and it's going right along and it's a very exciting, fun show and we think you'll like it. It is. We haven't written anything like it before. It's very never. cool. Never. Very cool. So you have that to look forward to. And we wrote the um, We the could draft. tell them the genre. Okay. You want to? Okay. Here it is. Are you ready, folks? The genre. Oh, my God. Okay. Tell them. Are you ready? Tell them. Susan, tell them. Oh. It's. Tell them. Western horror. Giddy up. That was amazing. Thank you. Have you been saving that? No, I just made it up right now. Wow. <laughs> well, that, hey, baby, how you doing? That was really good. Oh, wow. Well. That's how you can sum it up. So, right there. <laughs> Kitty, yep. <laughs> no, no, come on. You can do a better one than that. I don't know. Just like I did. Come on. You're going to say I'm a better actor than you? Oh, yeah. Excuse me? You did right. not even go there. I did threw you? it down. What? Come on. The Give hell? us one then. Come on. I don't. You do it again. Well, now it might not be as good. You're putting Giddy me on the up. spot. Ah! But you got it now. That's the best you got still. Come on. Giddy up. Ah! Try again. That was pretty good. Then get a good one. Giddy up. Ah! That giddy up is terrible. Put some oomph in it. Giddy up. Ah! There you are. <laughs> I bet they've heard way too much of that. They're like, oh my uh, God, uh, move on. Well, you know we had to work it out, okay? We did. So, anyway... It's like behind the scenes twip. It's a western horror. Totally. And so, yeah, as you can see, that's nothing like uh, uh, Pendant has ever done. It's nothing like we've ever written. We were very excited to try something that was so different and uh, unique and, and refreshing in a way. Yeah, and we totally love it. Oh, yeah, it's, it's totally awesome. We're going to be some really, really, really awesome cool stuff in there and some really, really great roles. So uh, we'll have more information about that. So soon, stay coming tuned. up. But yes, stay tuned. Dallas, Texas, home of Catherine Pride, whom you know as Vrenny slash Geist in Umket Industries presents the Dixie Stenberg and Barassi Battalion Adventure Theater, Tithia in McKingery, wow, that's a lot shorter, the therapist in Once Upon a Time in Vegas, Kitty Shadow in The Line, as the creator, former writer, and former director, and former actress playing Student 4 on Seminar, uh, the creator, current co-writer, former solo writer, and director, and Asara Templari, and uh, etc. She's the stufer on Genesis Avalon. And whom you from uh, be, 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 whom you also know from the seminar shorts Roxy and the Trash Man as Linda, a Perfect Circle as Leah, and Luau at Pirate Cove as the Sea Witch. And you also know her from Midsummer Night's Dream as Helena. And you will soon hear her as Banquo and Macbeth and Jesse Cesare and Tabula Rasa. <sighs> Welcome to Twip Cat. Hi. Way to be awesome. That's a lot of stuff that I do, and I am so sorry that I had to wish that upon you just now. <laughs> so good. Like. <laughs> Five years of work, though, so it's really in... I've only asphyxiated you. It's fine. <laughs> well, if I die happy. Bo Burnham. Okay. Um, <laughs> so let's jump in with uh, Vrenny slash Geist. What we're going to sure. do is we're going to ask you the questions and 
we've kind of ditched the old format in the sense, well, let's talk about it. We'll just go with the questions because there's a lot of them. I like questions, so that's good because questions give me a direction to go. So I'm all exactly. for it. So um, start with Vreni. How did you switch from the Vreni voice to the Geist voice? And did you know she was the villain from the start? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I sort of knew that she was a villain um, going into it, uh, you know, because she was working for the bad guy. Um, so I always knew that she was important in that and, and uh, that she was going to have a different kind of voice. I think about three or four episodes in, Jeffrey actually told me that she was going to be this character, Geist. And, and basically he was like, yeah, actually, you're really the big bad. Like, that's that's who you are, but nobody knows it yet. So, uh so I had like a whole season to sit there and figure out how to go from meek and mild to uh, to something different. And and Jeffrey had even basically said, I want something epic and like super classic villain. So I just, you know, I went from this high pitched, tiny little meek voice to I'm kind of I just, you know, I would blow it out of the water. So um, so it was and you know, what? it's been so long and I've been doing that voice for so long. I actually don't even remember some of the conversations Jeffrey and I had about getting to that voice it's been i've been doing it for so long Alrighty, um tithia tithia has been through the ringer on the kingery what's been the easiest scene to play and what's been the hardest scene to play mm, okay the easiest scene to play over all the years i've been doing this i think the easiest the easiest long scene that i got to play was the uh the episode um it's it's from this most recent season, uh, the episode where they're all having dinner together, and it's it's like you know Cassandra and Major everybody, and it it was actually you know and I think the reason why I say it's easiest is because I've been doing I've been playing this character for so long and I've been you know growing with the character that it was an episode that was a scene where Tithia was pretty and pretty much okay in her own skin and was kind of playing the voice of reason around the dinner table and it was really easy for me to do. Um, I felt very settled in it and I quite enjoyed it. The hardest scene is the scene that I recently had to do. And this is so funny because you would think that like the hardest scene was like the one when, 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 you know, the season one finale, that was really difficult at the time for me. Cause I hadn't really had to do anything like that, but you know, now that's a cakewalk, but the scene I had to do with socks in the bathtub when Debbie showed up. In you know, this Renee scene, said the same thing. I, I actually, I actually, I'm like, it's so, it's so funny. So we got the script, right? And I read this thing over and I'm like, I have to do what? No, no I, I can't do it. It's got, it's got to be out of character. I, I, how could I even do that? And so I had to, I had to email Renee and go, Renee, I know you wrote this. Could you give me some advice on how I'm supposed to play this? Because I really don't know what to do here. And so we talked about it. She was like, well, you know, it's this kind of emotion and just kind of go with it. And then I was like, I was like, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. And so, you know, I, I did like five reads of the stinking scene before I finally found three reads that I liked enough to send. Because I just was like, I was like, I couldn't get in the headspace. And I think it was because I'm, I'm, I'm a visual person. So for me, the best way to be in a scene is to be thinking about the scene as it's happening. And, you know, it's method acting. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's really hard to uh, have an emotional scene with your mother <laughs> while you are naked in a bathtub and there's a guy next to you doing things you don't want to think about. It was really awkward. <laughs> so I think those are my, that's my easiest and my hardest scene. Alrighty. So both fairly recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know there's some, there's some from the past, but I think that, uh, 
for a while there. Oddly enough, even though Tithia was going through more, they were easier to play because at the time when I started playing the character, I was that age. Um, and I think she's actually aged slower than I have. So it's been different. Because um, in some ways I have to go back to having a certain level of uh, naivety that I don't have anymore. So it's kind of interesting. Okay. Uh, the therapist. Oh, wow, how did I... Okay. I think you're the only person in Pendant to ever play God. <laughs> or is that who you were in Vegas? Uh, no, that, that was that was the character I played in, in, uh, in Vegas, was, was the therapist. Um, who was a representation of God? Um, I think I think you're right. I think I am the only person to play a um, to play God. Because uh, in the line, I don't think we we never got that far. I mean, the, the show doesn't. It never really went that high up in the hierarchy. It went pretty high, but it, I don't think it went that high. So uh, yeah, I was I was I, I remember when I got that role. I was I kept joking that I was Alanis Morissette in Dogma. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the best thing ever. <laughs> that one's a little over my head. I'm sorry. Oh, have you not seen Dogma? I'm 18. I haven't seen Dogma. <laughs> oh my god, Jack. Right. I'm sorry. You and I, sir, are going to have a discussion later involving okay. you watching Dogma. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, speaking of the line, uh, was Kitty Shadow written for you or just heavily tailored to you? Because Cat and Kitty are very similar names. And <laughs> how was it acting such a dark role? Um, okay, well, on the first one, uh, when I uh, when 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 Chris was coming up with the concept of the line, he and I were in, in heavy discussion because uh, you know he was my editor on Avalon and and uh, we worked on some other stuff together um, for a while and we were we were you know contemplating co-writing some stuff and then we would we would drop it because we were both busy and uh, he told me about the line and he told me about you know some of the character types he was looking at and he mentioned that he thought he had a character that I could play. And, uh, you know, I, I asked him to give me a description of the character. I didn't know anything about her name. I didn't know anything about, uh, you know, really who she was other than, then, you know, that she was a lawyer and that this was her ability and this was the kind of life she'd led. And uh, he basically said, are you interested? And I said, this is like the most meaty role I've ever had. I am I am there in a heartbeat. I would, I would love to do this role. And he was like, good, because uh, her name's Kitty Shadow. Um, it's weird how that's her name. And he never really, like, explicitly said, I wrote this character for you, but it kind of came out that way. Um, and, uh, and, and so, so I don't know how much of it was tailored after, um, what, what Chris knew I could do and was comfortable with, but I think he knew that I pretty much had, uh, had, like, no, uh, I don't really have many barriers and lines when it comes to being an actor, so I think he knew that he could, he could trust me to do anything that I needed to do for that show. Um, so, and I guess that kind of bleeds into the question of what was it like playing a dark role, and it, and the answer is it's, it's very, it's very heavy. Um, one of my favorite anecdotes from, uh, from film and TV is, uh, Lucy Lawless was interviewed during her last season of doing Xena, and somebody asked her if she was actually going to miss the role. And she flat out said, no, I'm not going to miss it at all. Because uh, when you've played a character that's that dark, that has that much blood on their hands, for as long as you play them, um, it's, it's, it, it takes a toll. And eventually you get in that headspace to a point where you can't get out. And she was glad to be getting out. And, and I think, you know... Audio is not quite the same as acting um, physically, obviously. There's a lot of different components to it. But when you play a character that goes through as much as Kitty had, 
had, had you know went through and someone who i knew such a detailed history of and had to have all these elements and and subtext to her character um it's really tough because every time i had to sit down and record an episode i had to know i had to remember all of her history and all of the bits and pieces that could affect um what she was thinking how she was reacting at any time um, one of the hardest parts about it was trying to do her attraction to um, Sahi because I always knew that was where that character that's where those characters were going but trying to um, portray it in a believable fashion that wasn't over the top you know this is I'm, I'm, I'm lusting after you it was really hard it was really hard mm-hmm. uh, um so moving on to 7R and this is actually tying together very nicely. Will you, or how much, or be, 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 do you miss directing and writing seminar? I don't miss directing it <laughs> <laughs> at all. <laughs> not, not because I don't like directing, but as you guys, because as you guys know, if you ever listen to Avalon, I, I really give my all when I direct. Um, but uh, seminar was a beast. Uh, and, you know, looking back now, if there were things I could have changed about, you know, like the implementation and then the format of the show, I probably would have uh, thought some things differently because uh, trying to make sp- what it meant amounts to essentially two small episodes of a show and then a wraparound uh, every month was was it was hell. Um, good hell. I loved it. I was in college, so I had the time to do it. It was a passionate thing. and I loved it. But I didn't realize how quickly I burned out and how much I had to uh, put on the back burner because. Avalon was an independent production before that point, and I had to completely backburner it to do seminar. Um, so I do not miss directing it. I do kind of miss writing it um, because when I gave it up at the time, I was just so burnt out and so ready to move on to Avalon and get that going again and pick up that pep, you know my 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 baby as it were. Um, that I was I was happy handing the torch off to somebody who I thought was going to do a great job and have a, have a vision. Um, and you know, and uh, and and from there, you know, other people have now taken the torch. So uh, I think I think in some ways I miss it. Um, I think if I was asked to come back for any reason, I would probably come back in a heartbeat as a, as a writer. I would not come back to direct. Um, <laughs> I just that, that show requires such uh, such dedication, and it's it's you know the the people who direct it. Folks, you gotta give them credit because they're amazing. I don't think you guys realize how much work they do. <laughs> oh, trust me, Colin complains all the time. Yeah, I'm sure he does. <laughs> me all the time. Um, but yeah, Vincent's gonna do a great job, and I'm excited mm-hmm. for that. Well, um, I, you know, I'm I'm really excited. I happen to. I mean, I love Vincent for death for a lot to death for a lot of reasons. So, I think it's great that he's picking up a show that um, I used to helm. That's really cool. Um, this one, this one applies both to seminar and to our next topic, Genesis Avalon. Does it feel a little unreal at times when you see something you created brought to life uh, with pendant? Every single day. Um, it's really weird because you know I have a day job and I have a life that has nothing to do with pendant. So there's a lot of people who, when I mention that I'm into audio drama, they have no idea what I'm talking about. They have no idea um, what I mean. And when I point out to them that I, and it feels so weird to say this, I create this show. Come listen, or or you know I write this show and I create this show every single day. Come listen. And they go, wow, you made this? So you're like, like a published creator? And I'm like, uh, that doesn't, hmm. <laughs> that has a different connotation uh, for me than it does for you. Uh, like, uh, 
you know, like, I mean, because I'm trying, I'm still trying to have a writing career and, you know, I'm, my job, my day job is a regular nine to five job that everybody else has kind of thing. You know, um, it's an office job, so it's not uh, terribly exciting. Um, and it's not, you know, it has nothing to do with my, my creative endeavors. And I spend a lot of time being creative outside of work. And I mean, I write when I come home and I, I mix when I come home. So it's not that I'm not doing anything, but it's so surreal. It doesn't, it doesn't feel real until I meet a fan. And then I suddenly realize that people listen to my show and are affected by it. And that's really, really awesome. Like, it's really cool. And I am very blessed to, um, to have been able to take Avalon Dependent and see this come to life because uh, it's, it's really humbling. Like, it's so weird when you realize you have fans, like, in a country you've never even been to. You didn't even know that you were ever, th- you know, that you would ever think about going to. But suddenly you have fans there. It's just... It's surreal. It's the best way to put it. <laughs> okay. Um, well, moving on to Avalon, full steam. We're opening. Woo-hoo. We're opening up the floodgates here, guys. Oh God! Is um, <laughs> we have about five questions uh, for Avalon. Uh, which part of Genesis Avalon so far are you most proud of? Oh, oh that's so tough. Um, which I, you know. Mm, as much as I have loved season three, and, and you guys have not heard the last two episodes of season three, which I think are some of the best mixing and writing I've ever done, I, I gotta say, season two is is my favorite season. Um, pretty much from the moment Knox arrived to the end of the season is, is my favorite part. It's a story about, um, you know, Jaina struggling with some demons that, that, that she's never really handled before, you know, you know personal demons as opposed to uh, physical demons and uh, and going through through that journey of learning to trust people and 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 having you know I mean just and there's there's loss and there's just there's so many ups and downs in that season and as much as I absolutely love season three season three is kind of a different ballpark so it's a different you know it's it's told in a slightly different fashion it's told with a different tone to it but I think I think season two is a has always been my favorite. It was my favorite season to write, and I think it was my favorite season to mix. And I think now going back, it's still I still love to listen to pretty much episode like sixteen to no no seventeen to twenty four. <laughs> okay. Um, next question. You have one of the biggest, if not the biggest, cast in Pendant. Uh, how do you keep up with all the characters and where they are at all times? <laughs> um, I am an OCD wreck. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know. It helps that I have a, I've had this show written for so long, but I'm also very, um, I'm very, it's, I, you know, how do I describe this? <clears throat> I love ensemble casts, so my whole thing is if I bring a character in, I want to do something with them, and then as I start to do stuff with them, and I get to know them, and I get to develop them, I go, oh, I want to do more with them. So, um, it helps that because I'm always thinking about what I want to do with all those characters, it's very rare that they all slip, that any of them slip through the cracks. Um, and part of it is also I love to world build. And for me, world building is building a cast of characters. So, you know, I may not tell you everything about what's going on with the government or with, uh, you know, with external forces, but you'll know about all these characters that are in my world and you'll know about them and you'll know about their lives. Um, and, uh, and I'm not really sure, you know, necessarily where that comes from. I guess it might be because I, I love Anne McCaffrey's work, and she's very much like that. She writes very big ensemble cast novels. Um, 
notes, but uh, but uh, you know, it's really, I don't think about it. You know, I just I start writing, and then I go, "Who's a character I haven't seen in a while?" Oh, Julian. Let's stick him back in a seat and see what he's up to, because I know all their personal timelines. I just haven't done it yet. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you obviously play one of the one of the major characters in the show, Asara. Um, mm-hmm. What what was the thought process behind playing her yourself? <clears throat> when I first started writing the show. I, uh, I knew Asara's backstory because I had, you know, kind of written it down to... Because originally... Okay, well, let's go back. When I originally <laughs> started... I know, it's, it's, it's so convoluted, the history of the show. So when I first started coming up with Genesis Avalon, I was a freshman in college um, and, uh, and had just discovered the VAA, the Voice Acting Alliance. And um, I had seen all these cool radio plays people were doing, and I thought, I want to do one myself. And, I you know, I figured I would do it, so therefore... You know, it's all me. So if it sucks, it's on me. Um, and uh, and so I was trying to come up with a, you know with with a story, and I and I had this superhero sort of sitting in my head, and didn't really know what I wanted to do with it. And then uh, I came up with Genesis Avalon. Originally, I came up with the Asara Templari Genesis Avalon, and I had her whole backstory and her whole story mapped out. And then I realized hers was not going to be as interesting to tell. That really what would be an interesting story would be the the Avalon to come after her who could achieve the things she never could and uh and so that's when I I uh I wound up listening to Batman No Man's Land on uh Darker Projects and heard uh her with this before it was on Darker Projects and I heard uh Laura Post as as Oracle and I realized I utterly love that voice that is an amazing voice I want to hear that voice in my show so I contacted her separately and asked her to to please audition and and I started you know flushing out a cast of characters well I ran into the problem of I knew this whole backstory for Asara and it colors every decision she makes it colors every piece of the puzzle you know every line she has is heavily influenced by her history and I just at the time I could not justify casting anybody else because I thought well, I'd have to explain everything, and then that's going to take like days and days. And on top of that, you still don't—you know—you still don't know if uh, if they're really going to be able to to grasp it emotionally because it's in my head. It's my story. I'm the one who's all hyped up about it. The people who are auditioning don't know me from Adam. So, uh, so, and originally, also, you know. I had only played through season one, and if you've gotten the end of season one, you know Asara dies. So I never thought it was, you know, I thought, well, I'll give myself this role, I'll kill myself off, it's fine. Um, you know, and, and that's why Asara kind of wanders in and out through season one. She's not really in every episode, um, because she was meant to be a kind of a, um, um, an ancillary character to play the mentor and then as I developed the overall three year plan for the show that culminates in episode 36 and then as as I started working with Chris and, and started planning uh, season four I realized Asara was going to have to be a bigger player um, which is why you have season three um, and that's why in season four you guys are going to get a, a real heavy uh, dose of what Asara's life was like oh yeah uh, yeah, so Hi, I know Chris but, Matthews. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yes, the carrot that I've been dangling over people's heads for you know eight years. <laughs> I finally get to know what the hell happened with Sarah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, and it's really weird because I don't like self casting. It's it's not a thing I like to do. I normally frown upon it um, if I see people doing it, and I think they uh, 
that it's a role that somebody else could play. Uh, not not to say that they're bad, but you know, it, it's that whole thing of now that I'm a director and a writer on my own, I actually prefer not to be in my own productions um, unless it's something like I'm or I've been playing that character for ages and then I happen to take over. That would be one thing, but uh, you know, nowadays, like I have I have stuff in the works that I would not want to play a character in. I would just want to cast it and do it. I wouldn't want to have to to, to act in it too. Um, and part of that might just be that I've moved away from the acting uh, somewhat and more into the creating. But I, I think a lot of it just has to do with it's easier to step back um, when you're not a character. Um, but in this case of Asara, it, it was really impossible at the time of starting the show to really cast somebody else in the role without having to give them the whole story. And that takes away half the fun. Okay. Sorry for that long-winded answer. No, that's okay. Um, you've actually touched on our next question a little bit. Is Avalon still going to end right after season four? And what are your plans beyond that? What are you going to be working on? Uh, Avalon is going to end after season four. It's actually going to episode 50. So you actually are going to get a 14-episode, quote, season four. But really how it's going to go is it's going to have three episodes that are a their own arc. And they're, I'm calling them the Asara arc, like in all of the scripting and stuff. Um, and then you're going to have the remaining... Uh, 11 episodes, so almost a whole season's worth of, uh, of a, an actual season four that is its own kind of self-contained story. Um, I kind of treat it more like a feature film. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so it's going to end after season four, and the reason for that is because that it will have gone through the, the story that I wanted to tell, and then um, uh, there is a feature that Chris and I will be probably co-writing and co-directing but probably after we take like a year off or so um to kind of get our to to take a break and step back from the world of audio drama um and kind of you know get out of that spot where you're writing on fumes um and where you're directing on fumes and take a long deserved break um and then come back and we're, we should be writing a feature that takes place in the same universe as avalon and it's actually set a couple years after everything has taken place in avalon um with a different cast but using some of the characters you'll know because uh certain individuals from avalon will be reappearing in that show um and that'll be a feature it won't it won't go very far and then on top uh, you know after that um my plans are to actually create a novelization of Genesis Avalon um, because there's a lot of stuff that going back now I'd like to tell it slightly differently. Plus there's a lot of stuff I just couldn't fit into audio. Like the entirety of Noir and Asara's relationship pretty much got shunted to the side because there just wasn't time for it in audio. But it's something I can expand on when I'm writing a novelization of the first season, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, my plan is really to, to focus more on... on, on hopefully getting a novel career off the ground. Um, I like writing prose. I like writing books. Um, I have so many ideas in my head. It's kind of sickening. Um, so I'd like to be able to, 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 you know, move towards that. But at the same time, I don't want to completely stop with audio drama because I do like it. So, um, so I'm going to take a break, long break after Avalon's over, and then we'll come back and do this next feature. And then from there, who knows? I might have a new idea. I don't know. Okay. And last question. This is a very long, involved question, so bear with me. Oh, shit. Where'd it go? Oh, there it is. Oh, language. Okay. Sorry, guys. Okay, found it. <clears throat> How do I phrase this? 
Okay, basically, it was it's a very long question about Asara's suicide and whether or not that's in character for her. What would have happened if Asara had simply refused to fight? Uh, it's still... Well, okay, if she had refused to... Okay, mm. all right. <laughs> I guess the first thing is is that I don't... I guess I don't I don't see it as so much as a suicide, so much as a sacrifice. And I know that for people that can be two different things. So I think the question is what if what would have happened if she had stopped fighting and just sacrificed herself through nonviolence, I guess. And and the answer is Lilith would have won. Uh Asara's body was deteriorating because there wasn't much of Asara left in there. But what was left in there, um, was being controlled by the magic of Excalibur that we saw Obsidian steal in season two. And when he lost Excalibur, uh, the magic started to wear off. And so the forces keeping that body functioning and keeping this twisted version of Asara functional and evil uh, started to break down. So as Asara was fighting Lilith and fighting and fighting Sam, she could she could tell that she was starting to lose control because you can see it as she starts flashing and she starts she starts losing grip on reality. And uh, had her decision been, well, I'm just gonna let Lilith fight me, and uh, and and let her kill me. Um, chances are that she would have she would have tried to do that, and then the evil twisted control would have reasserted itself. And then she would have fought Lilith in earnest, and Lilith would have killed her, because uh, Asara was too weak at that point. Um, and in the end, that would have meant that Lilith would have won. Uh, Lilith would not have had that moment of just snapping, um, because the whole thing for Lilith is that, you know, she's she was obsessive about Asara and so Asara was the prize and if you don't get the prize the way you want it then you can't handle it and that's exactly what happened to Lilith and uh, I think that if if I had written it any other way than what happened um I also think it would not have been in character for her and here's here's why um and, and some of this will be touched on in season four but Asara has a lot of skeletons in her closet you guys don't know about and, and oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. <laughs> and uh, and, be and useful. yeah, you're you're doing awesome. Um, but she has a lot of skeletons in her closet, and at the end of the day, um, it, it comes from two schools of thought. In Western culture, we frown upon suicide, um, the notion of taking one's life and you know, kind of just giving up. Uh, for the Celtic people, suicide was preferable to dying naturally, and it was preferable to surrender. The Celts believed that you should take your life on your terms. And in the case of with Romans, uh, Celts would kill themselves so that they would not be taken as slaves later. They did not want to be subservient. So uh, even though Asara was not born a Celt, um, you know, neither was Jaina. Uh, the notion that that there are things you learn and things that you adapt, you know, adopt, and and aspects of Asara's path, which is the same path that her mentor took, the same path that every Avalon before took. Um, some of those aspects are going to permeate through your personality and through your deeds. And at the end of the day, Asara knew that to be alive was to be a slave. If she could, if she could destroy the corrupt body she was in. That little bit of her soul, trapped by the, by that by the dagger that was used to free her, uh, 
would flitter off to the other world for judgment. And, uh, and whatever that judgment is, that's the only way it was going to happen. Because if, if she had just deteriorated slowly, uh, the, the piece of her soul would have just been tainted beyond all recognition and nothing could have happened. And the same would have gone if Lilith had killed her because Lilith would have probably just killed her with the dagger because she got it back from Sekhmet, trapping Sara's soul all over again. So they could replay this dance again because Lilith is insane and obsessed. So um, I think that's really what it comes down to. I, did, I You know, I couldn't... I. I, I try to do something that I felt would be honorable for Asara, and I think you know if you, it, you know that's that's what would have happened. I don't think it would have ended quite as well, <laughs> or well at all. Okay, uh, well that's all of our questions. Um, you are going to be playing Banquo shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard Act One actually. You sound very, very, very David Tennant. I do. I did it on purpose too. Uh, the joke was I auditioned. Just doing David Tennant's voice from the comic relief sketch he did with Catherine Tate, where he was the the uh, English teacher, talking about oh. Shakespeare. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I get an email from Colin going, "Congrats, you've been cast. Now be more Tennant." And I'm like, "What? Wait, what? No, you you picked the wrong person, huh?" I was, I was, I didn't know you actually liked my Tennant accent. Cool. Uh, so yeah, we'll be hearing more of that come November and more other stuff come November. Yes, yes, other stuff. Stuff in the pipelines, as it were. Yes. Which is nice. I haven't had stuff in the pipeline that isn't Avalon for a while now. So <laughs> Exactly, it's great. <laughs> I've been so tired, you know, I've been so busy that I'm like, this is the first time I've been cast in something in ages. I'm like, this is kind of nice. I could go for this. <laughs> so, yeah, so... Everybody, tune into Shakespeare because it's coming back, man. And uh, tune into Avalon, especially these coming weeks. Oh my gosh, episode 35. You won't have a face left because it will have been rocked off. I'm just, and I'm actually being modest because I I don't think it's it's amazing. I do think it will rock your face off. Chris, I think her face actually was rocked off. I could, she couldn't talk for like an hour. It was pretty awesome. She just, she just has no face anymore. She has no face anymore, yeah. She, she's Gus Fring. And on that note, thank you for joining me. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Jack. And on top of Avalon, uh, you can also catch Cat next week in The Kingery, Season 6, Episode 1, Patchwork. It's over. It's over. It's over. Just the interview, it's over. Coming out Wednesday, September 5th, it's the Season 6 opener of The Kingery. Yay! Hooray! That's six exciting! Seasons. Did I write that one? Yes. <laughs> the only reason she cares. Awesome. Selfish, selfish witch. <laughs> Next time on The Kingery. Hey, Asa. Hey, Jim. Holy shit, Dev. B- boss. Boss, what happened to you? Fine, it's just bandages. Mr. An unexpected pleasure. Shit, Zeph, are you okay? Well, I'd say give me a day or so before propositioning me. I haven't even done my hair. Party's in here. Whoa, socks. Hang on there. Let me help you. Thanks, boss. Just a little unsteady, you know. Damn. Oh, shit. Okay, um... Debbie, you know what? You will all right me. Even though you lied about some stuff, I mean, but... Hey, who doesn't, right? Anyway, you're a good people. <laughs>
Mom. Only at PendantAudio.com. Mom. It's me. I'm here, Mom. It's okay. You're in the hospital. Good. Good, baby. You okay? Fine, Mom. I'm fine. You hang in there, okay? is almost done. Yay! <laughs> and there you have a show. That is an entire show. One last thing to mention. Um, as you heard once again, some of your great questions submitted in for our, our interview guest this week, Cat Pride. And so next time, um, we're hoping to have Perry Whittle on, so make sure that you go to pendantaudio.com slash twip.php and submit your questions for Perry! And hear his answers next time. Yeah! Hopefully. Um, schedules permitting, you know, we might have to change if, if, you know, timing can't be worked out, but he is an upcoming guest, so get some questions in for him, and as soon as we have some more names of other upcoming guests, we will, of course, let you know. Right, and where do they send those in at? I just said pendantaudio.com slash twip.php. You did just say that? I did. I was There's a mailbag form right there. You just There's fill it out. There's a mailbag? Form. A mailbag form. A mailbag form. You fill it out. How's a bag of form? You fill I'll it out. Okay. You send it in. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Be sure to stop by the website at PendantAudio.com, the Yahoo group at groups.yahoo.com slash group slash Pendant, the Live Journal community at community.livejournal.com slash Pendant Audio, the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Pendant Audio, the Twitter feed at twitter.com slash Pendant Web, and the Tumblr at PendantAudio.tumblr.com. We'll see you back here in two weeks. This is Susan Bridges. And Jeffrey Bridges. Thanks for listening. Susan, Susan, tell me, how much would you pay me to ever do this voice again? Oh. That sounded bad. How much would I pay you? I can't whisper in that voice. I can't. To never do it again. How about I promise not to punch you in the face? Oh, totally awesome. Giddy up. <laughs>